Tonight, God's Word comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. We're going to focus our attention tonight on the end of that chapter, verses 19 through 21. We're going to begin our reading to set that in context about halfway through verse 13. First Kings 19, beginning with verse 13, what we hear now is God's word. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Melhalal, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and who was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave them to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, tonight we come to what is really the end of the Elijah cycle. We have been studying the life of Elijah for the last several weeks and months together. And while Elijah is often in our minds a major figure in the Old Testament, his story is really told in just three chapters, 1 Kings 17 and 18 and 19. Now, Elijah will show up a couple more times, so we're going to have a couple more sermons in this series, but really, uh, the end of chapter 19 rounds out for us the life of Elijah. We have seen that Elijah's life can be characterized as two mountaintop experiences. He had that experience on Mount Carmel. And the contest with the prophets of Baal. And the question, if Baal is God, follow him. If God is God, then follow him. And God so beautifully revealed himself and demonstrated his power 
That he was the one God, the only God, the God who Israel should follow. And then we saw that second mountaintop experience on Mount Horeb, also called Mount Sinai, where God's prophet is discouraged. He feels like he is the only one left. And once again, God comes and reveals himself to the prophet. He reveals himself in the wind and the fire and the earthquake and the whisper and reminds him that God had not left him. He was not the only one. Yes, if people were disobedient, God would come as judge. And in that, in that second mountaintop experience, God, God gives Elijah a task to do, to go and anoint several people. We just read that at the beginning of our text tonight. And tonight we're going to talk about one of those anointings. Elijah anoints Elisha. Now kids, those names are very, very similar. Elijah is the prophet we have been talking about for the last several months. Elisha is the one that's introduced tonight who will be anointed. And I'm going to do my best, I'm going to do my best to keep those two straight. You know, sometimes I get my words confused. I'm going to do my best to keep those words straight. So we know what we're talking about Elijah when we're talking about Elisha. Elijah, the man we've been talking about, the prophet of God, and Elisha, the one who will take Elijah's place. In this story, once again, we see God's encouragement, God's blessing to his prophet and also to his people. As a reminder, he will not leave them. He will continue to work in and through them. And God will continue to be faithful to his word. We've seen that theme running through the Elijah cycle. It's a reminder that God is always faithful to the word that he gives his people. God, in his discussion with Elijah, his revelation to him, shows his faithfulness. We look at verse 19. So he departed from there, found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. Remember, Elijah has been out of the promised land. He left the promised land. He went down south. God confronted him at Sinai, told him to go back. He should not be discouraged. God would be with him. God revealed himself to him. And now he is returning to do the work God had given him to do. Elijah is to anoint Elisha as his prophetic successor. Maybe that doesn't strike us as so significant, but it most certainly is. Every other Old Testament prophet, when it comes to their anointing, Either we do not know how that anointing came about, like with Elijah, or they are anointed by God himself. We have no record of any prophet ever anointing another prophet, except here. 
And when something occurs like that just once in the Old Testament, we have to say, what, what, what is God teaching? What is he doing here? God in this action, having Elijah anoint Elisha, is continuing to encourage his prophet. He had said that there are so many thousand in Israel who have not bowed the knee. But Elijah had so linked his work with the work of God that he felt if he didn't do that work, God's work would end. And so God graciously allows the prophet to anoint his own successor. God was not leaving Israel. God was not leaving his people. Even if Elijah will now fade away from the scene, God will continue to go with his people. Elijah, in this, in this anointing, receives, receives a servant, more than a servant, receives a son. Their relationship would be so close, it would be like family. And in fact, when, when Elijah is taken up into heaven, Elisha says, my father, my father. That was their relationship. God continues to show his faithfulness to Elijah in giving him this, this son, this servant, this helper. Again, God uses, uses the prophet Elisha to encourage Elijah. We read at the very end of this text, he arose and went with Elijah and assisted him. He would come alongside. God, God um, I suppose, could have just made Elijah encouraged. We encourage Elijah. But God uses means. He uses the, the, the man Elisha to come alongside to give encouragement, to assist him in the work he'd been called to do. God uses means to show his faithfulness and encourage his prophet. There are times we, as individuals, become discouraged. And God still uses means to encourage us. He uses the means of the body of Christ. We belong together as a family. And, and the bonds of this family of God, the bonds of this Christian family, are not mere human relationships, but they are rooted in Jesus Christ himself. In our confession that he is our one and only Savior, God has brought us together as a family of God, to be encouragers to each other when we are discouraged. Sometimes it's easy for us to, to want to give up. And then, and then those in the congregation need to come alongside to encourage, to remind us God has not left us. He's not neglected us. Perhaps that is something as simple as simple as praying for someone regularly. If you know someone who is hurting, someone's going through a difficult time, 
We have our prayer list in the bulletin. Pray for them regularly. That's our, that's our obligation as part of the family, lifting up one another in prayer. And for those who are receiving those prayers, who are receiving that encouragement, to recognize this is a gift of God. God has not left us alone, but he's given us a family, a family to encourage us in our walk with him. God encourages his prophet by showing he is still a God who is faithful. We have this rather strange uh, occurrence here. End of verse 19. Elijah passed by him, cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said, go back again, for what have I done to you? I have to confess, in these couple verses, I think I have more questions than answers. Not so much what do the words mean, but what is the significance? What's the significance of what is going on here? We read that Elijah passed by him, cast his cloak upon him. Well, that's actually an interpretive choice. It could mean he cast his cloak upon him, or he cast his cloak near him, he threw his cloak to him. Somehow the cloak got from Elijah to Elisha. But what does that mean? What does it mean that he gave him his cloak? Some suggest this is... Elisha's prophetic calling, that this is the prophetic mantle being put over Elisha. That could be the case, but notice at the end of this text, he's not called a prophet yet. He's simply called an assistant. He rose and went with Elijah and assisted him. We don't know exactly what was the meaning of this cloak going from Elijah to Elisha. But Elisha knew, at the very least, he was being called into some, some type of service. He was being called to leave what he had been doing and now go and serve, either serve Elijah or serve alongside the prophet Elijah. He was being called into service of the prophet. And Understanding that as a calling, he says, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Was he objecting to the idea of being called into service? Was he trying to put off being called into service? Again, we don't know exactly the nature of those comments, uh, and, and Elijah, Elijah's response doesn't help us a whole lot. He says, go back again, for what have I done to you? Well, what does that mean? Is Elijah saying, you have permission to go back, but you really shouldn't go back, you really should come with me first? Is he in some way scolding him? What is this conversation between these two men? Again, at the very least, what we know is Elisha believed he had permission to go back and then return to Elijah because that's what he does. 
He believed that these words, go back again, what have I done to you, gave him permission to go, uh, say goodbye to his family, and then return. Well, there have been those that have suggested, and you can find this in the literature, those that have suggested that really Elisha is being disobedient here. Because maybe in your mind you say, isn't there some text somewhere that says, uh, he who puts his hand to the plow and turns back isn't worthy of following me? Isn't there a text like that somewhere? Whenever we say, isn't there a text like that somewhere, we should get to the Bible. Where is that text? So we can quote it properly. The text we're often thinking of is a text in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is calling disciples. And we read in Luke chapter 9, verse 59, To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, do we apply this text, uh, these words of Jesus, to what's going on with Elisha? Is he being disobedient here? And perhaps on first reading it might seem that way. I don't believe Elisha is being disobedient. Even with this text, Jesus' own words, no one who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is fit for the kingdom of God. We have to recognize the differences. Elijah is calling a successor to his ministry. Jesus here is calling disciples. Jesus is not calling a successor to his ministry. There is no successor to Jesus' ministry of paying for the sins of all of his people. That work is singular and unique to him. He is the only one who could do what was necessary to pay the price for the sins of all of his people. There was no successor to that work. It's not as if Jesus comes to us today and says, you know, I did a lot for your salvation, but if you just do what I say, if you complete your part, then you'll really be saved, as if we're the successor. Jesus doesn't call successors to his sacrificial ministry. He calls disciples. Elisha, Elijah is calling Elisha to be a successor, not simply a disciple, a successor. And, and we're never told that Elisha sinned by making this request. We're never told he was disobedient in making this request and fulfilling that request. Elisha, it appears from the text, had the freedom to go back, the freedom to uh, say goodbye to his father and mother before taking up the task that was given to him. He was being called 
into a particular service. Verse 21, and he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate and he rose, went after Elijah and assisted him. He, he gave himself to this new task. He gave himself to this calling he had received. He gave himself to it wholly and completely. He had been plowing with oxen uh, yoked up, and he kills the oxen. There is no chance for him to go back to that old service. He has been, been called from one service into another, now called into the service of the prophet. And, and notice, in that calling, uh, we might say he was giving up a lot because he obviously came from a very wealthy family. He is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. I tried to think of a contemporary example of 12 yoke of oxen. I couldn't help but think of, of our time in Sioux Center and in the fall when it's time to harvest uh, the soybeans and time to harvest the corn. And you see out in these fields huge combines, huge combines uh, going through and, and harvesting the corn. And sometimes you'll see a field where there's two or three combines going one after another. Now imagine Elisha with 12 John Deere combines going down the rows. That takes a lot of money. He comes from a wealthy family. It's not a small thing for him to give up that calling and follow this calling that God, this new calling God was given to, giving to him. He was singularly focused, willing to give it all up to do what God had calling, called him to do. I say it's easy for us to think, man, he gave up a lot. He gave up a lot to do what God was asking him to do. When we think about God's call to us to serve Him in whatever calling that might be, we don't couch that in the context of sacrifice, but we talk about the context of privilege. What a privilege to serve God! What a privilege! to be called by Him, the God, the maker of heaven and earth, to use the gifts and talents He has given to us in His service. That's not sacrifice. That's a privilege. A privilege to be used by God. Nothing can compare to the joy of using our gifts and talents in His service and for the blessing of those around us. Again, trying to think of a contemporary example. Imagine, imagine the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Justice Roberts, wants to talk about the nature of law and God's law. And he calls you up 
And he says, could you, could you spend a day with me and help me understand how, how the law of God affects all law? We wouldn't say, yeah, what a sacrifice. I gotta give up a day to talk with the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. We'd say, what a privilege. What a privilege that I was called to, 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 to use whatever knowledge I might have to, to talk with this one. And that pales in comparison to being called by God, called into his service. No, we don't talk about sacrifice. We talk about privilege. And think about what would happen to Elisha. What would, what would he do in God's power? Elisha would heal the sick. He would raise the dead. Elisha would see the fiery horses and chariots of heaven itself. Oh, if you asked Elisha, he would not talk about sacrifice. He would talk about privilege. The privilege to serve his God. Following after God is not a burden for us. It's not a sacrifice for us. It's an honor and a privilege to be used by God. God continues to call his people into his service. Whether that service be behind the plow, whether that service be in the pulpit, God calls us to different places in his kingdom to use our particular gifts and talents in his service. There may be profitability elsewhere. We could make more doing something else. But it's a privilege. It's a privilege to use whatever gifts God has given in his service and for the blessing of his people. No, we don't talk about sacrifice when it comes to serving God. If we want to talk about sacrifice... We talk again about the sacrifice of Christ. What he gave up to follow the calling God had given to him. How he would leave the glory of heaven. How he would come down and live among sinful men and women. How he would be unjustly condemned. How he would go all the way to death. That he might redeem us. Redeem us so that we can serve. Oh, God continues to call. First of all, first and foremost, God calls us to recognize him. Calls us to know that he is the one only true God. It is only in Jesus Christ that we can have true forgiveness of our sins. He calls you tonight to put your faith in that Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have done that, he calls you to take whatever gifts and talents he has blessed you with and to use those self-consciously in his service for the benefit of his people, he calls you to use those gifts to bring honor, to bring glory, to bring praise to him. We say, not unto us, O God, unto us, but to you be all the glory. May God give us a single-hearted devotion, a wholehearted willingness to, to kill the oxen, to leave whatever's behind, and to follow joyfully, with privilege, humbly, following our God who calls us to serve. Let's join together in prayer. 
Lord God, we acknowledge that all that we have and all that we are comes from you. In ourselves, we could do nothing. But you have worked in us. You've worked in each of us in different ways, different upbringings, different gifts, different talents, different abilities. Help us, O oh God, to lovingly, willingly rejoice in the joy of service, the joy of serving you, of being a blessing to your people. Help us, Lord God, to respond to that call you give to us to use whatever we have to bring glory to you and to be a blessing to your people. Forgive us when we hide our talents, when we are unwilling to use our talents, and strengthen us by your Spirit for your service. Hear us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.